0: life christmas is past and we're in the new year and many of us are thinking about this year being an offering to God making this year significant in our life some of us don't have many years left in fact none of us know how many years left we have and what we've been doing in this brief series is to look at what was the preparation that was made and what did happen before Jesus burst onto the scene when he comes out of the wilderness after his temptation and he goes public, when he comes to the shores of Galilee and he begins to preach and to heal and to show power and prophetic fulfillment, right? So we're looking at this brief, this brief part of scripture in all the gospels, the four gospels, there's just a brief amount that, that is about the times of Jesus before he breaks into the scene. So last week when Pastor Joe talked about the one glimpse of him as a young man or a young boy, a 12-year-old in the temple, we heard about Jesus saying, I must be about my father's business, which was a very significant statement because he was in his father's house. He was in the temple and he was about his father's business. But before we get to really looking at the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the commandments of Christ and the parables of Christ and the unique way that, the, that Luke puts together a gospel, a story of Jesus, we're going to look at one last scene and that scene is in Luke chapter 3 today and it's the scene of John the Baptist. Now we heard about John the Baptist, of course, almost all of us have heard of John the Baptist, supernatural dude, Right? He was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. It was prophesied about John that there would be one that would come before the Messiah. There would be a voice in the wilderness. There would be one out there who would prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly the filling that John has in Scripture. Even after John's execution, there's still curiosity about John because there was much supernatural surrounding him. But his preaching wasn't supernatural. His preaching was the gospel. His preaching was the good news that the Messiah had come, that God had come in the flesh, and the kingdom of God was at hand. It was here. It was available. And of course, he's going to look across the pond one day and go, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and Jesus will humbly come and be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. So if you have a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 3. Verses 1 through 14, it'll be on the screens in a moment. I wanted to tell a little story. Back in 2010, my wife and I went to Uganda, Central East Africa, and I had never been to Africa, so I didn't know what to expect, so I was kind of uneasy, as most missionaries would be, or most people going to a conference. We were going to a prayer conference. And uh, we flew into Entebbe. We landed in Ethiopia. We come out of Dubai. We came into Ethiopia. We came into uh, uh, Uganda. And hey, the airport was pretty cool. Now, that's Central Africa. You know, me, I'm thinking tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my, you know, I'm thinking all kinds of stuff. And uh, so then we get, you know, we get taxied, and they put us in a van, and we drive this pretty nice road. We're riding this road, you know, and I'm noticing. I'm like, my eyes are like this big, you know, I got a swivel head. I'm like this, you know, looking, 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 trying to, trying to absorb my first hour in Africa. And we get to Kampala, which was a capital city, and they ushered us into a place, and I thought, sheesh, all my stereotypes are falling apart. You know pretty modern place lots of traffic lots of people lots of technology everybody's got a cell phone I'm like whoa what's going on here it's 2010 well what I didn't know was that in 2007 Queen Elizabeth made a visit to Kampala Uganda after 50 some years of her being alive and being the Queen of England and therefore the head of the Commonwealth she had in 1954 been there and she was coming back in 2007 Well, then I look back at that and I found out what happened was in order to prepare for the queen to come to their nation, they had torn down roads, they had removed buildings, they had built hotels, they had beautified the city, and they knew exactly her tour itinerary. That's what was going on. They had made great preparations. Now, in 2019, are you preparing yourself for the repeated encounter with Jesus Christ? Are you daily going to encounter Christ? There's a necessity of preparation. If they would do all this for the queen, if they would rip out roads and put up real shiny buildings and put in new hotels and, you know, decorate it beautifully so that appearances were one thing of preparation, then what about us today? Are you looking in 2019 to encounter God, the living God, the God who is and always has been and always will be, and the God who will draw close to us if we draw close to him? So what's necessary? Well, what's necessary is the gospel. And what's necessary is to recognize what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we're talking about today. So as we learn today that the gospel is the message, is the power of God unto salvation, and it's the power of God in our sanctification. That is what the message is about today. Um, if you will, look at Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. I'd like to read there. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of lean, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So that's the historic setting. Luke's a historian. He's the most historic writer of a, of a gospel. He really sets it. So if you go back and Roman history, you'll find out, gee, that's true, gee, that's true. That guy was Tetrarch, that guy was Tetrarch, that was when he ruled. That was. So Luke sets the stage historically because Jesus Christ came into a, a world keeping close histories. It was in that time during the high priesthood, and if you go back into Jewish history, you'll find that Caiaphas was the high priest at the time of Christ. But it was at that time, after 460 years, that something marvelous happened and that was the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness it had been over 400 years since God had risen up a prophet who could say thus says the Lord who could say with authority God has spoken to me and I am speaking to you and this is what he says 460 years of silence So when John supernaturally starts evolving, people are wondering about him. It's been 30 years, ever since that supernatural thing that happened in the temple where, hey, you know, his father's deafness and muteness suddenly is broken and he proclaims, my son's name is John. Everybody knew something was coming. But he had gone into recluse. He's in the wilderness, and you know the story. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating locusts. You know, he's a unique fella. But he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming what? Proclaiming means yelling. Proclaiming means I don't have a mic and I need to make this heard a distance. Proclaiming is a loudness. It's not talk. Preaching is preaching, but proclaiming even is a greater level of intensity than preaching. Teaching is one thing. Preaching is another. Preaching is from the heart, not just the words. But proclaiming is shouting. And what was he proclaiming? Repent! Repent! And be baptized. Repent! He was yelling. When Jesus came out, that's what the people were coming to hear. He was calling them to something. For the forgiveness of your sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Here's here's John fulfilling. Isaiah, 700 years ago, before John, wrote this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And he therefore, he said, therefore to the crowds that came to be baptized to him, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Phew, that's nice greeting. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance," he told them. Bear fruit with keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Don't tell me about your religious background, he was saying. Don't tell me you're a good Jew, that you're a son of Abraham. John's going, it doesn't matter. God can raise up sons from stones if he wants to. Don't put your religious stuff out here, your ceremonies. Even now, the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. See, that's the fruit of repentance. A wealthy man says, I'm hoarding. I'm greedy. There's the poor and I'm ignoring them. And John says, don't. Give away your extra clothing. Share your food. To the tax collectors, he came and he says, they came and said, teacher, what should we do? And here again. And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Stop stealing. Stop exhorting money from people. Stop doing what's illegal. Do what you are supposed to do only. The soldier said, and what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. Because the soldiers could use their violence to extort money by their threats and their use of violence. Those were fruits of repentance that he was talking to them about. So what is this repentance? You see, it was John's first word in the gospel, and it's Jesus' first word. Peter, when he goes out from the Pentecost experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes to the streets of Jerusalem in Acts chapters 2 and chapters 3, and he preaches boldly, courageously. And the people say, what should we do? Because you've made it known to us that we killed the Christ. We killed the son of God. And he says, repent and be baptized. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Paul, when he was working with the churches, especially Corinth, you see this example. Filthy church. These were Gentiles who were practicing all kinds of sexual immorality. And when they come to Christ, he says, this has to go. And he writes them a strong letter. He zaps them with that letter, 1 Corinthians. And he tells them boldly that that cannot exist in God's house. It cannot continue in practice. And he really gives it to them. And then the Corinthians repent. God gives them repentance and they change their ways. And Paul writes the second letter and says, Oh, how glad I am that God worked in your hearts repentance because you had godly sorrow and you have turned from your sins. Paul talked to all the churches about repentance Jesus, when he speaks to the seven churches of Revelation, the seven churches that that he speaks to directly, five of the seven churches in the book of Revelations, that's chapters two and three, he tells them to do what? Repent. Nobody answered. That's kind of (laughs) odd. Did you think I had a trick answer? (laughs) It's no trick answer. He told them to Repent. Repent is the first word of the gospel. You ask a little kid, what's the first word of the alphabet? A. A is the first word. You know, kids know that. What's the first word of the gospel? Grace? No. Faith? No. Love. Love. It's got to be love. No. The first word of the gospel is repent. What is it? You have a definition. I'm looking at a lot of intelligent people, more, more intelligent than I am, I'm sure, You have a definition in your mind, right? You have this. It was in all the Gospels we find this, that all the faithful followers of Christ, the 12 that he sent out and then the 70 that he sent out, the ones he empowered with the Gospel to go into all the world, he told them, teach forgiveness and repentance, right? 58 times in the New Testament you'll find it. 58 times, start reading your Bibles, stay in your Bibles. Don't leave your Bibles. Don't read just good books like I did last year. Last year, I drifted from Christ. Did you hear me? Last year, I drifted from Christ. I wasn't as near to Jesus as I wanted to be and as I was other times. I was in a place where I was going, something's wrong here. And here's what I found out. I'd become a snacker instead of someone feasting on the word of God. I was ignoring my Bible. I was reading really good books, Christian authors. I was reading some good blogs. Blogs? Read the scripture, the living word of God. Read your Bible. Take time. Make time. Be in the word of God. Don't you see this as a great gift? This needs to be treasured, treasured. People die for this all over the world. Just even have a Bible. We're spending thousands of dollars as a church to translate so a people group can have a Bible in their own language because it's the word of God. It's living. It's connective tissue to your heart. Okay, so I'm way behind time already, so let's go. So at its core, repentance means to turn away from sin. What does it mean? A U-turn, turn away from sin. You're going in one direction, enjoying and even loving your sin, which I was doing when I was 20. I heard about Jesus and I said, no thanks. Why, because I loved my sin. Because I knew this couldn't continue if I started to follow him. I couldn't keep doing this and say, yeah, I'm a Jesus guy. I can't do that. If I'm gonna do this and this and this, I'm gonna have to say, nuts, slam the door, and turn and follow Jesus. That's repentance. It's a U-turn. It's necessary. Matthew Henry has a great quote we'll look at quickly, but put your thinking caps on, okay? Remember that saying? No, huh? too young. Put your thinking caps on, boys and girls. <laughs> Some of you oldies, remember? Okay, please think with me. Love the Lord your God with your mind and your heart and your whole strength. What was he saying? Matthew Henry saying this is what John was bonding them to. He Bound them not to ceremonial observances, like sacrifices, tithes and offerings, bloody circum- you know, bloody stuff, by the tradition of the elders, but to change their mind and change their way, to cast away from them all their transgressions, and to make them new hearts and to live new lives. Here's what the gospel does. The design of the gospel is to take somebody like Peter, Walt, Cedo. The design of the gospel is to do something in those three knuckleheads' lives. Which has now began was to make men devout and pious and holy and heavenly and humble and meek and sober, sober, and chaste and just and honest. So, So, you know, honest, charitable and kind and good in every situation Who had been much otherwise, and this is to repent. Have you repented? Has the Spirit of God invaded your life so that there's a transition going on constantly, a renewing of the Spirit, and you're becoming a new man, a new woman, a changed person, more like Jesus, and more like Jesus, and more like Jesus? And it takes decades. It takes decades to be sanctified. Sanctified means made holy. Some people want all the holiness at once. I want to be a perfect Christian. That's ridiculous. Hey, I can tell you about the pastors on our staff. You know what about them? They need to repent. Why? Cuz they sin just like me every day. The sin of my heart, my heart deceives me. I think terrible thoughts. I envy and I greed and I and I have anger and I all this sin it just keeps coming. I need to repent. See, repentance is, has everything to do with salvation. Salvation must have repentance, right? So you tell kids, hey, you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Hey, you want to live forever? Yes. Hey, you want to uh, uh, have all your sins forgiven forever, your past sins and your future sins? Yes. Okay, just say this and you're in. Say this prayer and you're in. That's not the Bible. The Bible says repent. Turn to God. Turn from your sins. Surrender your life to Christ. Pick up your cross. Follow me. I did a youth ministry for years, and we'd take kids to these events. And the kids, you know, I'd, I would take these kids, and they would go, and, you know, they'd hear a message, and they'd say, yeah, I want to get saved. Next year, I'd take them to another event, and they'd say, yeah, I want to get saved. In the meantime, I know their life in the, in the high school where I was teaching, and They're miserable sinners and they just keep miserably sinning. They just keep going right back to it. But sometimes the gospel that they were hearing was just say this and you're in. Get a ticket. You know, Billy Graham led a guy to Christ once. He was a gangster in Chicago and he went forward at one of his events, one of his crusades. And the guy went right back to being a gangster. And someone confronted him and said, whoa, time out. I thought you went to, I thought you gave your life. I thought you went to the grant. I thought, and he said, yeah, I did. Well, policemen do, and they go back being policemen, and actors give their life to Christ, and they go back being actors. I'm a gangster, so I just went back to being a gangster. I do wicked and filthy things, but I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. Hey, I got my ticket. That's what they told me. I'm good to go. Now, to say honestly, Dr. Graham always said, repent. But so many people missed it. He would always say, Repent and believe the gospel. Repent. Paul said, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. You see, church isn't always about let's sing and wave our hands. Church is a time where we come before a holy God. When I was so thankful when I was younger in Christ and uh, was attending our church 30 years ago, Rick Duncan would give messages and I would stay in my seat. My wife would leave, my kids would be out in the lobby and they'd be running around the building and I would be in my seat. And I was so thankful that I could do business with God. So thankful that when Rick preached the word of God and the spirit of God was convicting me that I could stay in my seat and do business with God. Did you come to church to do business with God today? Because he has a word for you and the word he has for you is repent. If you're a person who's not ever surrendered your life to Christ, you're here today. That word's for you. Turn from your sin like I did. Make a decision that God guides by the Holy Spirit and follow Christ. And he'll give you a new life and a life of purpose and joy. And he'll give you reasons to live and he'll fill your heart with his spirit. And you will live eternally as well because God has done it all. Jesus has done it all. It is finished for us. Now, being a former Catholic and a guy that used to go to confession, you know, and a guy used to do ceremonies after ceremony after ceremony after ceremony, ceremony. sometimes I did 200 Masses in a year. 200 in a year, right? Being a guy who knew dried-eyed religion, and that's what that was to me, the reality of our faith is we live in relationship to the living God. And that God loves us with an intense, everlasting love. And he proved his love on the cross. He proved how much he loves us by saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And yesterday in the metro park, I was singing to the Lord, walking along in the snow, singing to the Lord. And I was singing songs of repentance saying, God, search my heart. God, give me a clean heart. God, wash me, wash me as white as snow. Make me new, Lord. Make me new again. Lord, I repent before you. I didn't lay down on the ground and make snow angels. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe I should have. But that's where I should have been in condition of my spirit, lowly repenting before him. See, a person that's leaving Cleveland, going to Los Angeles, LeBron, is not doing two things. He's doing one. Putting your faith in Jesus Christ as the only way. It's the, the only way of salvation is Christ alone. But repentance is the twin sister of, of faith. Spurgeon said, faith has a twin sister and it's repentance. To say, well, I put my faith in Christ, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep sinning. I'm just going to choose sin. I'm just going to continue to have my secret sin. What secret sin? What secret sin? What God do you serve? You think you can commit sin in secret? Are you kidding? The eye of the Lord never is off you. There's no secret sin. You must be an atheist. Or you believe in a little tiny god who can't see you. Who doesn't watch you? You think you're getting away with it? There's no secret sin. That's foolishness. That's ignorance. Really, it's a declaration that you practically you're an atheist. You don't believe in the God of the Bible who sees everything all the time. Repent. Turn from your sin. Come back to the Lord. Return to him who loves you. He loves you greatly. Let's take a look at uh, J.C. Ryle's words. Remember when Jesus, the woman was brought out that was caught in adultery? Do you guys remember what he said? after he cleared all the stone throwers, he said, go, but sin no more. J.C. Ryle says, true repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin, a change showing itself in a godly sorrow and humiliation, in heartfelt confession before the throne of grace, in a complete breaking off from sinful habits, and an abiding hatred of all sin. Men, I'm talking to you. Men, I am talking to you. You need to hate sin. You need to hate sin. The place of anger that God has given us, that emotion, there's a place for it. It's not toward your wife. It's not toward your boss. It's toward sin. You need to hate sin. Why? Because it's what murdered Christ. You need to hate it. You're allowed to have some hate. You're allowed to have some anger. And the anger should come out. It's sin. Your sin. The sin that you still am tripped up by. The sin that you entertain. That you allow. Repentance calls us to hate sin. Because you cannot love God. And love your sin. Choose this day, like Joshua said, who you're going to serve. You can serve sin. Don't talk about serving the Lord that day, that time, because you're not. You can't be. Wayne Grudem says, what is, what is this? Grudem is a great theologian. And he says, it's a heartfelt sorrow. See, it's, it's God-given sorrow for sin. It's renouncing of it. And a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. When Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you, do you love Jesus Christ, that suffering servant, the one who died on a cross for you? Do you love him? Now, I'm telling you right now, you have very little love compared to his. I don't care how much you love him. And I know some of you guys really love the Lord, and I love that. But compared to how much he loves you, your love is puny and feeble, fickled. But if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. And he said to some, unless you repent, you'll perish. There's been a lot of, a, of defective evangelism Easy believism, it's called. All you got to do is say this prayer. All you got to do is go to church. All you got to do is get baptized. That's not the gospel. The first word of the gospel is repent from your sin. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ alone. Secondly, repentance is part of now. It involves what happens in a saint's life. Right? Sanctification is that process I mentioned. Little by little, little by little, day after day, month after month, year after year, we are being made holy. God says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So he sets the Holy Spirit into our hearts. He gives us the scripture for us to learn from. He gives us this community of people to encourage us and walk together in community. He helps us to live together and and then grow together. And then 10 years later, you run into some of your old friends and you go, whoa, I used to be right where they're at. Man, the things they talk about and the things they love, I used to love. I used to, that's me. And the further you go this way, the the more you see your sin because you see the greatness and the glory and the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the Bible says no man without holiness will see God. So the process of sanctification means we need to repent. You've heard me say it already here. Our pastors need to repent. Our elders need to repent. Our beautiful ministry team needs to repent. We've got beautiful saints here. People like Raquel Basie, Denise Pitek. Oh my gosh, such gorgeous saints, sisters in Christ. You know what they need? They need to repent. Why? Why? Because they have the same heart you and I have. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful. They'll lie to us. We can't permit the existence of sin and think we're in fellowship with God. We need to turn back. You see, doing business with God sometimes is a Sunday like this where we go, whoa, whoa, Dale. <laughs> hey, I came to church to have a little emotional buzz or I came in here to feel good. Forget that. You want to feel good? Get cleansed by God. I remember me telling Rick how good it is, Rick, to repent. I said, man, Rick, when I went through a thorough, solemn time of really repenting of my sins, I I have never felt closer to God. Why? Because he's the prodigal God. He's the prodigal God. When Stinky Dale, with his sin, goes home to the father, you know what I find? And I say, father, I have sinned against you in heaven. He goes, I know that. Just confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I confess my sins and he raises me up and he holds me like this. He holds me like this and he says, hey, kill the fatted calf, get a cloak, put a ring on my son because my prodigal son has come home. Let's have a festival. Let's have a feast because he was dead, but now he's alive. Luke chapter 15, the best story ever told. That's my story. Repentance is a beautiful gift from God, and it is a gift from God. So what have we prayed this week? Believe me, we've had lots of people praying for every set of ears in here. Yours too. We've prayed about your ears this week. For those who have ears to hear, to hear this message and to not only hear it, but process it through and let the Holy Spirit reach into you and touch your heart again. If I ask some of the older saints here, some of the older people in Christ here, hey, do you remember those seasons when you were walking with God and it was like, oh my goodness, there's an intimacy with God? They would go, yes. And when I ask them, is it like that now? Few say it is. Some people go, yeah, I remember the joy of my salvation. I remember the thrill of forgiveness. I remember the thrill of eternal life being given to me by Jesus Christ But I'm not there. I'm not there. Often it's sin because sin separates us from God. If we are going to be close to God, we'll need to repent of our sin and confess it and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Returning to God humbly, frequently, confessing our sin. Sin separates from God, and unconfessed sin creates spiritual distance. We drift, we sin, and we stop seeking Him. Here's what I found out last year when I drifted. That's my confession, you guys, when I drifted from the Lord. You know what it was? It was other things. It was just other things. I just started seeking other things. I got excited about the Cleveland Indians. (laughs) I got excited about them drafting from the Cleveland Browns a young kid named Baker Mayfield. I got excited about that. My, My sports dude started turning on a little more interest. I got excited about this and that. I started reading this guy's blog. I started doing these, and I stopped seeking the Lord. You see, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Today, I'm asking you guys, seek the Lord today. Not just today, but every day. Seek the Lord. How? You want to hear his voice? <laughs> want to hear from him? Seek the Lord. You know what man is prone to? Here, Walt's a psychiatrist. He would know this most more than anybody probably. If man doesn't seek the Lord, he seeks something else. There's a there's a uh, a dynamic in all of us. We'll seek something. I want to redo my house. I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours looking up furniture and rugs and walls and carpeting and uh, you know I'm going to spend a lot. of... Are you seeking the Lord? Well, i I'm, I'm seeking to redo my house. I want to get in great shape. I'm going to spend four hours at the gym. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you seeking Him? He says, Those that seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. You see, Christianity is a whole hearted religion. It's not what used to be in my life, dried eyed, sacramental religion. Christianity, our eyes get wet. Christianity, when we really know the love of God, it breaks us to think the nails in the hands, those are mine. The voice in the crowd, that was mine yelling, crucify him. Crucify the son of God and God the son. Christianity is supposed to be something we experience in our hearts with passion. You see, here's my best way of relating this to you. I am married to a gal named Jackie. It'll be 43 years in March. We were 17 years old and we started dating. (laughs) A couple of kids. And she has loved me wonderfully. She has loved me in spite of myself, despite how I am. She has loved me through it all. And you know what happens? I offend her. Sometimes I don't even know that I offend her. Right, guys? But when I know I offend her, I seek her forgiveness. And I go back to her. And I say words like this, Jackie... I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I will never do this again. Never. May God give me the grace to never do this again. Now that's where the person's, why am I that way with her? Because the way she's loved me. Nobody's loved me like she has. I know no other love on earth greater than my wife's love. I know one other love greater than my wife's love. It's his love for me. I don't think she'll die for me. He did. I don't think she'd take my punishment. He did. So when I sin, I offend him. Do I go back to him with sorrow, with tears? With remorse and a promise, Lord Jesus, I won't do that again. Give me grace that I can stand in this promise. John Wesley preached about the beauty of forgive of of uh, these two things, these twins of repentance and faith. You see, they work together. It is. That the children of God, repentance and faith exactly answer each other. They answer each other. By repentance, we feel the sin remaining in our hearts. I feel that. And the cleaving to our words and actions. I feel that sin can come out of my mouth and out of my, out of my heart. But by faith, we receive the power of God in Christ, purifying our hearts and cleansing our hands. By repentance, we have an abiding conviction that there's no help in us. But by faith, we receive not only mercy, but grace to help us in every time of need. Repentance says, without him, I can do nothing. But grace says, faith says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, at the throne of God, there's grace and there's mercy. And who receives that but the humble? God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray I will heal them. So in a few minutes, we're going to stop. And we're going to get quiet. And I'm, we have prayed this, that in every seat in the house, in every set of ears here, that you've heard from the Lord. And we don't want you to rush out. We want you to get low. And pray to him. And ask him to help you have this repentant heart. And come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Don't walk away. And don't listen to the liar who says you're too guilty, you're too shameful. There's nothing that grace can't cover. There's no sin so big that God won't cover it. He will cover it. The blood of Christ covers all of our sin. Come back to the God who loves you. Why wouldn't you come back to him? Why wouldn't you come back to him? I can't understand why you wouldn't if you understand what I'm saying. Because he will restore you. He will renew you. David was a miserable sinner. David committed adultery and killed Uriah. But in Psalm 51, in Psalm 51, David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was his cry. Couldn't that be your cry today? Do you want that clean heart? Ask God to give you the desire even for it. He said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In Psalm 139, he said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray you'll do business with God now and this year and this week and every day. And I'll pray that you'll pray for our church, that we would be called the repenters. What are those guys up there in the corner of Wallings Road in 77? Oh, they're a bunch of repenters. What do you mean? They're a bunch of people who keep turning their lives back to God. They keep focusing their lives on God. They keep turning back to the God who loves them and gave his life for them. Finally, remember the great commandments. Jesus said there's only two commandments to recall. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors. That's the law that we live under. Let's pray together. Father, Have your way with us. Father, thank you, thank you that you know us. You're the maker of our hearts. You know us. You know what we need. We thank you, Father, that for John and for Jesus and Peter and Paul and the rest, this call to repentance, Lord, was your call to come back into the arms of a loving father, to come home, to leave the pigsty, to return to a father who will not only forgive our sins, but will forget them and wash us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God. Help our love for you to grow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.